0: This actually is, is how in fact human nature was born, was born behind the advent of fire. Fire is the, is the singular tool that actually changes the course of human evolution and causes us to be human. Yes.
1: everyone. Happy Halloween. Hope you're not binging on too much vegan candy today. Before we get started, I just want to say YouTube has this new feature where I'm able to premiere the episodes live so we can all sit down and kind of watch the video, these podcast episodes together with a chat. So I think it's really cool to be able to premiere it live with you guys to be able to watch it in real time. Of course, the video stays up for the rest of its life on YouTube after it's finished being premiered. But I just think it's so cool that we can watch it together. So if you guys are interested in watching these episodes premiere live, head on over to my YouTube channel, Bananiac, B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C, and subscribe to my channel. It's totally free. You do not need to pay to watch these videos or any videos that I release on my channel. So, yeah, I really look forward to having you guys there on the premiere. But you are also more than welcome to listen to this on your commute, on your run, you know, whatever it is that you do listening to this podcast. Ultimately, I really appreciate you being here and giving me your time in hopes that I could give you some value in return. All I ask you is if you could take a minute, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five star review and maybe be a comment on what you think of this podcast. Lastly, I want to mention that for anyone who is looking to lose weight, to get fit, and to really use their time wisely in the gym, I highly recommend you download the app FitBod. FitBod lets you track all of your exercises that you do in the gym. It lets you customize your workout based on the type of equipment that you have available to you, whether you want to do body weight only exercises, whether you want to do heavy lifting, you can tell it exactly how long you want your workout to be. If you want to do upper body, lower body, push, pull, whatever it is that you want to do, the app is so smart and will generate a custom workout just for you. It keeps track of your fatigue levels. It also can connect to apps like Strava, which takes into consideration the cardio that you're doing outside of the gym. Guys, this app is so smart and has really changed my weightlifting game. Head on over to app.fitbod.me. That's app.fitbod.me and use the discount code BANANIAC. You will not only get some sweet discounts, you will get a three-day free trial before you buy so you can kind of get the sense of what this app is really about and what it has to offer to you. And if you do end up buying a membership, you will also support this podcast. Anyway, let's get on to this episode. This episode right here. This interview with Dr. Doug Lyle, who is an evolutionary psychologist, the author of The Pleasure Trap. He is the founder of Esteem Dynamics. He is the host of the Beat Your Genes podcast along with Nate G. Dr. Doug Lyle, like he is one of my favorite humans (laughs) that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. I actually did meet him in person back in August of 2013. I went up to upstate New York for an event called Farms to Forks, which was basically a Forks over Knives event. He happened to be there, he was speaking, and uh, I just walked right up to him, asked him some questions, and asked him if he wanted to come on my show. And this episode is a little bit old. It was filmed back in 2014, but this has to be one of my favorites, if not my all-time favorite interview I've ever done. I literally had goosebumps talking to this man the whole time. Anytime I sit down and listen to Dr. Lao speak, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's on his podcast, which is on pretty much 24-7, or whether it's me just browsing through his book, The Pleasure Trap, I always end up learning something new about myself. I, he's really opened my eyes to evolutionary psychology, and just made the world so much more simple in terms of viewing it and understanding it. So while this interview talked a lot about plant-based nutrition, what our diet looked like from an evolutionary perspective, and a little bit of the social aspects of, you know, how to deal with family members or, or friends that might not approve of you going vegan, there are so many other topics that Dr. Law covers. So I highly recommend after this episode that you go and look up Dr. Lyle, look up his free YouTube videos, go on his website, esteemdynamics.org. Oh, and I totally forgot to mention, he works at the True North Health Center, which they do a lot of supervised water fasting, juice fasting, and a lot of great work there as well. So yeah, I literally cannot say enough good things about this man, Dr. Lyle. So yes, I am really excited to bring this episode to you guys. I really hope you enjoy it. Try to listen to as much of this episode as you can. We really get into some deep stuff there at the end as well. It's going to give you goosebumps. I promise. Listen in. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Doug Lyle.
2: So today we have here the evolutionary psychologist, Dr. Douglas Lyle. The author of The Pleasure Trap. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, my pleasure. So, I was wondering if you can give us a bit of a background of how you got into psychology and what it is that you do.
0: Well, uh, I got into psychology because I was uh, in my early 20s and a book fell into my hands by the title of The Psychology of Self Esteem. And, uh, you know, I, I'd read, a, I wasn't a big reader, but I'd read a little of this and a little of that. And, uh, that book, when I read it, it, it was, uh, very intriguing. It was, it was talking about things that were very interesting to me. And so, uh, it was, it was essentially from that ignited my interest. And, uh, from there, then I became a
2: psychology major in school and, you know, never got out of it. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, my first question to you is, as a psychologist, what would you say the best way to deal with social disapproval, you know, once a person goes, let's say plant-based and makes yes. it a, a great decision for themselves, they're going right. to get a lot of pressure from their, you know, family and peers. What What is the best way to deal with that?
0: The uh, best way to deal with it is to is to actually not try to make a big deal out of this. And uh, what what the the, the, uh, the problem is, is the following. Let me, let me give you a backdrop of why it's such a mess and, uh, the, the mistakes that you're being goaded into by your nature. The, um, your, your nature is the following that, that we lived in small group, the small group hunter gatherers. And it was basically the same 30 people that you lived with your whole life. Uh, and those people, it, it was essentially your collective brains and abilities against all the hostile forces of nature. And so as a result, we shared information and we were very, uh, vocal about it. So if you found where there was a crocodile at the certain bend of the river, you made sure you told everybody. And so, uh, in doing so, you, you every little insight, every little thing that you figured out how to, you know, use flint, uh, to make a fire, whatever it was, you, uh, it was important to share. And within the process of that, you, you establish your and continue to establish your value in the village. So your own status was somewhat dependent upon you being a conduit of, of, uh, of getting and sharing information. And so when people get this information about how useful it is to be a plant-dominated or plant-based diet, uh, they want to share, share it. It's so completely natural for them to do so. And if you figured out you know how to use Flint to make a fire when you show people you know, nine t- nine people out of the village out of ten would be very excited. One person would be annoyed that you got there first and got the credit. You know what I'm saying? Right? The, the natural annoyance about the status costs them some status is a problem. Uh, but in general, the village would have been excited. The um, this is different because we are saying here's a new thing that's really useful, and you're doing it wrong. Okay, so it's very much. Uh, we're elevating our status and blowing their status, and so as a result, the, the, it's a very tough message for people. Uh, they don't think that they're going to do it anyway because they they can sniff the the uh, self discipline that's involved, and they're not really interested in that. So there's a fight from the get go. It was never there when you showed people how to make And uh, So what happens is is that when when people argue back with us, we tend to get more vehement. You know, we, instead of sharing information, we now we gotta defend it because they're attacking. So now it winds up in an acrimonious situation. Uh so what I tell people to do really is to not act like we've discovered anything big. My attitude is uh that, that if people notice what you're doing, we just simply say, We're we're trying this thing out, we're running an experiment, we're seeing how something goes. And when they inevitably say, Yeah, well where do you get your protein from, we say, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I'm not really sure. The uh, And that that sends a signal that we're not trying to be that we're the sage and they're the idiot. It sends a signal that we're a bumbling Mr. Magoo that is truly just experimenting with something that looks like a fad and will probably burn out on it in 90 days so that they don't have to worry about their status. Okay? And this, this is how we finesse that problem. And uh, if they push us in, in, in their in their holier than now attitude about, well, you're gonna that's gonna be bad. You know, you can't do that. Say, well I check with my doctor. And my doctor says it seems to make some sense. It looks like it's gonna be okay. And uh he says that they're gonna just check my protein like once a year. Okay? And that's so we like kick the can down the road uh so that
2: that people really have no argument against that. Does that make sense? Yeah absolutely take it real smooth. Yeah, it almost feels like they're being threatened, and the best way to go about this is just to lead by example.
0: Yes, just lead by example. Don't threaten. Uh, they cross-examine us. We just say, "Hey, we're just trying it out. Who knows? Seems like it's working for me." And yeah. uh, you know, I feel better. Who knows? That that's how we do it. We don't we don't start claiming greater knowledge. Uh, if they if they are actually So most of the pushback we get from people is their anxiety that we are raising our status in the village above them. And so if we take care of that, that ends their interest. Now, there are going to be some people that are actually legitimately curious. Okay. The legitimately curious people that continue to ask, we send them to a book. So, you know, pick your favorite book. If they're really smart, send them to the China study. You know, if they're, if they have a real high IQ, let them go chew on Colin Campbell. If they're, they're more middle of the road, they you send them to, uh, if they're not quite as smart, you send them to John McDougal. Uh, if they're, if they're not quite as smart as that, you send them to, you know, Rip Esselstyn. The, uh, you send them to engine two. It's more, more user friendly still. The, um, if they're very esoteric, you send them to the pleasure truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good but, but that's kind of what i would do uh, let let the books do your talking and and actually i i suggest to people that when they do the books do the talking tell people well you know if they say well i read this book then just say well i, I didn't really read the whole thing and the reason why i say that is that now you signal to them that they can catch you and pass you ah That is now more, that's more enticing to them than the idea that they're always going to be trailing along behind you that you got there first. So you say, yeah, I just read this book. And actually, I I put the thing down halfway through, you know, it just seemed like a good idea. I haven't read the whole thing. and I just started trying and it seems to be working for me. If we use that tactic, then we really dial down their the cost for them of looking into it.
2: Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, Dr. Lyle, you have a great lecture up on YouTube called uh, Losing Weight Without Losing Your Mind. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because so many people think that they're going to go crazy, you know, ditching the meat and dairy and eating whole plant foods. Um, Can you talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Uh, The reason I have that lecture is because what people actually
0: believe... The, the key to weight loss is. They, they they believe several things. But they the the most fundamental thing they believe in is that they, they need to eat less calorie or eat less food and exercise more. And this is uh it and it's in fact true that if they eat less of the food they're eating now and they exercise more, they will in fact lose weight. It's a mathematical reality. However, I call that losing your mind. And the reason why that's true is there's a reason you eat. Uh, let's let's suppose you're a person that's 30 pounds overweight right now. There's a reason why you are eating as much food as you're eating, and the reason you're eating as much food as you're eating is because you've got very sophisticated homeostatic drive mechanisms inside your brain that are causing you to eat X amount of bites of food. Okay, they just do so. Your, I don't know how many bites that is, but the point is, is that it, let's suppose it's a thousand and a thousand and five bites a week. Your, that's what you're going to do. And so if you, to lose weight, you start to eat 800 bites a week, you are going to be hungry. Okay. And you are going to be, you won't be hungry right after you've eaten two thirds of what you wanted to eat. You'll actually have some satiation. But within a few hours, you're going to be hungry. And if you con- uh, continue on this path, all you're doing is you're doing what I call eating underneath the hunger drive. It's like sitting in a cold room and, and you've got a sweater and you don't want to, you know, you're not supposed to put it on. So you're just supposed to sit in there and freeze. And your brain will continue to cycle around over and over again saying, I should put the sweater on. I should put the sweater on. I should put the sweater on. It's going to be what it's going to be. Even if once in a while they turn the heat on for a couple minutes and you feel okay for a while and then they shut the heat off, pretty soon you're going to be cold. That's exactly what happens when people eat less and exercise more uh, to lose weight. Their, their brain is constantly being uh, teased into saying eat, 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 and it's very. it takes tremendous self-discipline to lose weight that way. So, anybody that's ever lost weight that way, I pat you off on the back. I congratulate you for truly human self discipline that no animal would ever impose on themselves. Uh, and it's an utterly unnatural way to go about uh, changing your body situation. So, what is the solution? The solution is to back the camera up. There, 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 are, there are so many different theories about why people are overweight. For example, Um, you've, you've learned to clean your plate as a kid and therefore you ate a little bit too much because your, your mother told you not to waste food or, you know, you, uh, you eat too many carbohydrates because those are comfort foods and those cause people to be fat. Um, that, that you're, you've got some issues in the, in the, uh, the, uh, the oral stage of your development from your Freudian upbringing. And therefore, you're fixated on the oral stage. and So you like to have things in your mouth, whether it be cigarettes or candy or food. The the list goes on. You were abused as a child. And therefore, your soul is slightly dinged to the left or dinged to the right. And somehow you seek food as comfort. Like there's no end to it. Okay. There's no end to the psychologizing on why it is that people have weight problems. And yet, I'm going to solve this in the next 30 seconds all you have to do is realize there's no other species on earth that's having this problem except two. Humans, dogs, and cats are the only species that are having weight problems and only in certain areas of the world, okay? So if humans, dogs, and cats are the three species out of 20 million that are having a weight problem. We should be immediately suspicious that this is some deep psychological disturbance. If you stress rats in a cage, they don't get fat, okay? If you abuse llamas, they don't get fat. Nothing responds by getting fat to any psychological stressor, okay? So this is not a psychological problem. This is a simply a problem of what you're eating. And so if you feed cats scraps from your table, or your dog scraps from your table, then they're going to start to get fat. Okay, the reason is, is the food is too concentrated. In that 1,005 bites that you're going to eat this week, if that food has too many calories in it that are compacted in that in the food, then you will have eaten in your 1,005 bites more food. It's as if if you got paid at the end of the week and they gave you. 12 bills, whatever it was, would it matter which 12 bills they gave you, whether it was 12 ones or $12,000 bills? Of course it would, okay? If they gave you just one $1,000 bill of the 12, they probably overpaid you. Well, if you eat food that is very concentrated in calories, then you're going to overeat when you eat your 105 bites. Now, you could lose weight by eating 800 bites, but then you're sitting in the cold room trying to not put your sweater on. You're going to lose your mind, Okay. It will fall apart and it will not work, ultimately. That's why everybody gains their weight back. Everybody believes that they've got some set point. Okay. So this is, you know, Dr. Phil's thing. Like, get real. You're going to have a set point that's you. You don't have a set point. Set point is a mythical concept in, in weight. The issue is, is that you have an appropriate weight for your species and for you, which is lean. And that's what you're going to see throughout the animal kingdom. Okay. You you have some animals that carry more fat, but they all carry more fat. All whales carry a lot of fat because it's characteristic of the problems that they face in their environment. The, uh, but, but the, the llamas aren't fat. The, the, the geese, well, the geese get fat because they do a big vibration. Certain animals get fat, but, and human beings are designed to carry a very modest amount of fat on their bodies. Women carry a little bit more. Men carry a little bit less. Some people carry a little bit more than other people. But the truth is nobody is designed to look like modern Americans. In the last 25 years, the average American woman has, has gained about 25 pounds. So the point where the, that a now a 35-year-old woman in the United States on average is 166 pounds. That is unbelievable. That's where all the beauty went. That's where it got trouble for people to find each other, even with the extraordinary developments on the internet, like match.com and other things like that. People are still having trouble getting together and finding relationships when now it should be easy. The reason is, is that people are overweight and they don't look the way they should. Okay. That's like gumming up the works. If your average woman is 166 pounds at age 35, let me tell you what that means. She looks pregnant. Okay. And the response in the animal kingdom to females that are pregnant is disinterest. Okay. So this is, uh, this is the problem. The solution is you have to eat like the appropriate human animal. If you eat like a appropriate human animal, when you've had your 105 bites of plant-based, plant-dominant, whole natural foods, when you do that, you won't be paid too much. You won't eat too many calories. You'll eat the appropriate amount of calories for you and your weight will start to regulate automatically. If you're a relatively young person, it'll regulate down about 2 pounds a week. So literally in the 20 20 years that it takes you to gain an extra 40 pounds, you can unwind it in 20 weeks. Okay? But it takes the discipline to actually do this and you have to go through what what Dr. Goldhammer and I call the pleasure trap. But to go through the process of Reacclimating your taste buds to much, much healthier food, and when you do that, you set yourself on a pathway to success. The beauty of it is, uh, when I talk to women about this, and, and women are more obsessed with their weight than men for good reasons. Um, uh, their that their weight, their waistlines are much more scrutinized than the male waistline, uh, because men look at those waistlines to detect pregnancy. Okay, so they're under very intense scrutiny. The, um I explained to them that, that if you don't want to go this path, that's fine, but you have to understand the phenomenal competitive advantage you have if you do. Because other people aren't going to do it. Okay, so it's literally a, a gold laying in the street that needs to be picked up. And if people pick it up, if, if uh, women will pick up that gold, they put themselves in a spectacularly competitive position in the romantic arena, which is a very big deal.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Is that it's all about eating the right food, not eating less. It's about eating the right food. It doesn't hurt. Uh, my, my friend uh, Rip Esselstyn
0: will say that you know, diet is the king and exercise is the queen. Doesn't hurt to exercise. It's a good thing. It's a useful adjunct. Uh, but it's not the key. Uh, the, the central key is we've got to get the, the, the very rich food out of the diet and move towards a diet that is consistent with uh, the teachers that we have today, McDougal, Esselstyn, Campbell, et cetera, Dr. Goldhammer, uh, Joel Furman. This is the direction people need to go. And if they go that direction, they don't have to be perfect. But if they go that direction, they're going to find a very good response. They will not have to eat under the hunger drive. Eat comfortably, eat as much as you want, don't try to eat less, and you will be on the right track.
2: Absolutely. Um, So, Dr. Lyle, uh, what is your take on salt? Um, Do you agree that one should have it in the diet or should aim for a low salt or even a salt-free diet? Because salt is very pleasurable, and and that's one of the things you talked about, so.
0: Yeah, salt's an interesting problem. Um, and I think that, that in our, I call our arena the hyper health arena. In other words, it's not just interested in health, it's people that are really interested in health and, and are very, very knowledgeable. So this is a little bit controversial in the hyper health arena. Uh, and so let, let's, I can run the gamut. So uh, Dr. McDougall is not that concerned about salt. And the reason he's not that concerned about salt is, that he's so much more concerned about getting the general direction correct. So he's interested in getting all the, the oil out of the diet. Uh, he's interested in getting the animal food out of the diet. And so that's what he's interested in. And so if people need to sprinkle some sugar and some salt on their food in order to make that happen, he figures like he's winning 95% of the battle and he's not worried about the last 5%. So that's McDougall's position. And it's very reasonable. Okay, The... Um, there are people that, that, uh, for example, that may have hypertension, and they may not do as well on that kind of a diet as if you go all the way to the floor. So Goldhammer, uh, Dr. Goldhammer, will not use any any uh, salt in his diet at all, other than the natural sodium that's in there, and you will see the most dramatic effects in hypertension with the Goldhammer diet so um it, it will be one notch superior in outcome to the McDougall life, however, that's a short term effect because we have to we should check them a year later to see who's still doing it, okay because uh Alan Goldhammer's uh recommendations are going to be more difficult to follow, and therefore it's going to be probably more likely that people will toss their hands up and forget it okay now uh interestingly enough, there are uh many people that I have met that when they have gone all the way to a completely whole natural foods diet with no added salt at all, um, after a period of a few months, they can acclimate to that, and then they don't want it any different, Okay, which is interesting. Also, uh, an interesting sidelight is that it appears that the inclusion of sodium in the diet is a, is a, a reason for the, uh, well, for I think unknown reasons at this point, but it appears to disrupt sleep. And it probably does so because you probably become thirsty. Okay. Uh, uh, in a, in a way that you wouldn't if you, if you were not, uh, eating sodium. So, uh, so the little alarm bell goes off inside the head at three in the morning and, and it will actually wake you up. So, uh, when Alan found that out, he was very happy about this because that gave him an argument, uh, for his, for his, uh, position. Uh, I think again, I think these are relatively minor issues, uh, unless you happen to be someone with very high blood pressure. Uh, if you're with very high blood pressure, sodium causes you to retain water and therefore contributes and exacerbates high blood pressure. Uh, but if you are, if you are not somebody that's specifically dealing with high blood pressure, um, also if even if you don't have high blood pressure, but you have a severe cardiovascular condition, uh, you've had a couple heart attacks, you. You've had two three stents put in, you know, and you're actually you're short of breath and you're in congestive heart failure. You may not have high blood pressure, but you are taxing the system by having extra sodium in the diet and therefore extra fluid in the cardiovascular system. So for for severe cardiovascular cases, uh, which include uh, high blood pressure, I would say the lower less sodium added, the better. Anybody else? I would say minor issue. Uh it's not something that I worry about, you know, at, at all personally. Uh I I I have s- my food is salted at the level that I like it, which tends to be a fairly low sodium diet. Uh but it but I'm not fastidious about it.
2: Yeah. I I think salts an interesting one and it's one that I've been very interested in myself. Um yeah, I think as long as folks can uh go towards the lower end, I I think most most people are going to be safe, so
0: yeah, the big problem is is that when people are into very uh, salty diets, th- those are salty and greasy.
2: That's right. Yeah.
0: That, and so, they're just by the very nature of headed towards a healthier food, you will, you know, as you get used to diets without the, the, all the grease in them, you'll be moving towards a lower sodium fare, and then I think it kind of takes care of itself.
2: Right. Great. Thank you for that. You bet. So the next question, uh, it's going to be a little bit long just to kind of explain it, but sure. I have a lot of beers that are interested in raw food diets with mm-hmm. just uh, raw, fresh fruits and vegetables. And, yes. um, as I was reading the pleasure trap, I, I noticed you have three factors of why people do things the way they yes. do them. And so one is uh seek pleasure, avoid mm-hmm. pain and energy conservation. And I yes. was just thinking, um, Having a raw fruitarian diet, would that cover all of those uh, factors? Would you say humans are designed for that type of diet, or what is your take on that?
0: Yeah, they, um, they're they not designed for that diet. The um, It's going kind to of turn out that we're designed for a diet with cooked food in it, and so this started about two million years ago, and you can actually see the morphological changes in the human chest cavity that... Uh, and an extraordinary reduction in the size of the stomach. So um, and the, the reason why the stomach sh- uh, shrank in our species over the last 2 million years is because of the use of food. If you look at the um, – our, our stomach has about one-third the surface area of a chimpanzee, which is an equivalent size primate. And, uh, and the reason why that's true is that uh, the chimpanzee doesn't have a large stomach. They have a typical stomach for primates. And um, – uh, the reason is, is that, that the, they need a, a normal sized stomach in order to process the amount of vegetation that is necessary for them to survive on a raw food diet. And so, uh, they are, uh, the average chimpanzee is actually chewing about six hours a day. That's what they do. Uh, the average human being chews for about one hour a day. Okay. So there's a big difference in literally the time that's involved in eating. And that time reduction is the, the processing uh, of the food that is done through cooking. That's actually what caused that difference. And, uh, and so as with the, uh, our jaw is actually quite a bit different. It's not nearly as strong as a chimp. Uh, I have it on good authority from primatologists that I know that, that they say if you've ever been kissed by a chimp, you'll never forget it. <laughs> they're, they're so much stronger. Their lips are so much stronger than humans. It's freaky. And, uh, and this is, the equivalent sized animal to us. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to turn out that our diets have actually gotten so soft, but well, let me, let me follow this argument a little further. And then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about the over softness of the human diet. So the, um, human diet, uh, was designed by nature to have large amounts of raw food in it as it would, and then a substantial amount of cooked food and the cooked food would have probably well we actually know it would have primarily been uh root vegetables uh is what it was uh, it was primarily you know potato like things in the in the ground in africa and um so what what happened is this this actually is is how in fact human nature was born was born behind the advent of fire fire is the is the singular tool that actually changes the course of human evolution and causes us to be human this is what happened. That that starting about two million years ago, uh at that time, human human uh human uh proto humans, uh, Australopithecus, was was not a parabond species. In other words, there was no long term relationships between in the mating uh between male and female. There were no so there were no families. Uh what there were was a standard operating procedure, which is true for ninety seven percent of mammals. Which is that the, the males do no, did no paternal investment in the offspring whatsoever. So the females would be in charge of their, of their children and they would feed them and raise those children. And it would take them many years to do so. Now, when you have children, you can imagine that you cannot possibly hunt. There's just no way that organism can hunt. And so that species was designed as a raw food vegan species is what it was. The males were also a raw food vegan species. In other words, they did not they didn't have specialization that the males could go off and hunt while the females were gathering berries and eating roots. All all of these the species, the entire species simply ate the same food. The males were and they were eating probably for six hours a day. They were like foraging all the way, you know, they were literally eating six hours a day, and then the other half of the time they were moving from one spot to the other to get the food so in other words they're basically eating all day long is is what's happening now starting about 2 million years ago they started to use fire and uh, this is extraordinary so what would have happened is that um the females would have been for the first time able to start to uh, uh to use uh, root vegetables now root vegetables are much higher in calories than than eating fruit fruit off the vine fruit off the line might be two or three hundred calories the root vegetables are 500 calories so it's doubling the calorie density now the uh, the problem is is that you can't eat it raw it's too it's too tough to eat raw it's not worth the trouble so you could eat it you can eat a raw potato but the amount of energy that it takes to digest it and the amount of calories that you get out of it isn't isn't worth doing and your intuition tells you that which is why you don't like it Okay. In other words, it's too hard. It doesn't taste, it's not sugary enough. Forget it. You'd much rather eat grapes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, what, however, if we cook that potato, suddenly it's a whole different story. Now it's a lot softer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that softness means there's a lot less muscular action that's involved in its digestion. So there's much less energy required to digest that food. Okay. Not only that, it's going to turn out that by cooking that carbohydrate, you actually gelatinize the starch and you make the starch much, much, uh, you make the calories more available and much easier to get to. So you've effectively increased the calorie density of that food considerably, okay? The uh, Not only that, you've actually lowered the amount of digestion time so the food doesn't have to remain in the stomach as long. It's passing into the small intestine much, much faster, which means you don't have to have as large a stomach. Okay. So now what you're going to see is you're going to see that the jaws should get less tough. Okay. And you should also get a smaller stomach and you should get teeth that are not as strong. All three of those things have happened in our species. Okay. We, we don't see it this way, but our mouths are extraordinarily small for primates. They're, n- they're not even remotely close to another, any other primate. So we clearly are an odd, odd man out, not even close. And it's clearly behind the fact that we take small bites and we get a lot of calories out of them. Okay. And we don't have to chew them very hard. It's actually going to turn out that when you look at skulls in Africa, uh, the teeth are great. Okay. From, you know, all through the last several thousand years. And, uh, excuse me. And so what's going to happen is, is that that's not true starting, you know, a thousand years ago particularly in Europe. And the reason is is that it actually requires some stress in order to grow the jaw. And you need the, the, the toughness of the raw food of actually crunching down on it in development in order to make the jaw big enough to support all the teeth that come in. They started using too much processed food in the last thousand years. They started to not stress the jaws of their children. And as a result, their teeth get crowded. And then they need braces, okay? So orthodontia is completely secondary to the fact that human beings have drifted away from their raw food ancestry. You know what I mean? Towards overly processing the food, which is exactly what you see today, okay? And all the problems that you see today. The, um, however, back to the action on on all your people that are very interested in raw food. So uh, I like to balance this out because as I'm criticizing, ultimately uh, the raw food raw food uh, thinking, the truth is, is that there's great merit in it. So in other words, it's a, the truth winds up being somewhere in the middle. Okay. Now, so our species uh, began an extraordinary odyssey. And that odyssey would be that, that the women would start to dig root vegetables and collect them in a pile at the end of the day, and then go to the trouble of lighting a fire. And they learned how to light a fire probably either protecting fires from uh from lightning strikes or more likely they started to use flint okay so the uh as a result of that they could cook their food at the end of the day and feed their children now they were eating raw food all day long while we're doing this but they're also headed towards a large amount of calories at the end of the day in the form of cooked carbohydrate now it's important to remember that because the eating of large Amounts of cooked carbohydrate at the end of the day has been found characteristic of every single hunter gatherer troop in the world. This is, there's no exceptions. Okay. This is human nature. So people, you know, think that, oh, shouldn't we be eating, you know, throughout the day, nibbling throughout the day, like our hunter gatherer ancestors, i.e., eating a bunch of raw food? No, that is not what human beings did. Human beings ate the bulk of their calories at the end of the day behind cooked carbohydrate. They've been doing that for 2 million years before they could talk. Okay? Now, and we can tell this. Why? Because of the the smallness of the stomach, the weakness of the jaw, the weakness of the teeth, etc. Okay? All of this fits together. Now, I want you to picture what must have happened in sub saharan Africa when this was happening. What happens is that that the females are cooking this fire at the end of the day and cooking that food. The problem is that when you do that, other male humans are going to wait around and come and steal the food. There would be nothing to stop them from doing this. Okay, Other animals will stay away because they're afraid of the fire. They actually have instinctual fear because of the smell of fire means a forest fire and a forest fire means you're dead. So human beings were able to use fire to intimidate other animals away from them but not other humans, okay? Other humans were not afraid of the fire because they could use fire as well. So the males would simply sit, sit around and wait for some poor female and then go to steal her food. There's nothing that she's going to be able to do about this. So if some male goes up to some bush and sees, you know, a fire and then goes through the bush. What's he going to find? He's going to find a female and her three children and a male. He's going to see a male there standing guard there with his spear, like, don't come in here, buddy. I'm going to protect this food. That's the dawn of human pair bonding, okay? The dawn of human pair bonding is males, bigger, stronger males, protecting the food supply of females. They make a deal, okay? Now what's going to happen, uh, and that deal is going to be, it's going to enable something that the vegetarian community is not comfortable with. Which is that you wind up with a specialization of labor, which is the only time you'll, we've ever seen this in any species on Earth. The male becomes specialized at hunting, and the female, the gathering of of the of the vegetable material. And at the end of the day, she comes and cooks the vegetable material. The male gets a piece of it. He, she's a fact of venture capitalist that she supports him, that he can take the risk to go out there and hunt. Hunting is very very risky behavior. You may not be successful for three weeks. Our species could not afford that until you had fire making more of these root vegetables available. So the female would consistently do this. She cannot hunt because she's got children. She is strictly going to be a gatherer of vegetable material. Human males developed the uh, the coordination and ability and upper body musculature um uh, uh to to throw projectiles in order to kill, and so the well, our species then became a species for the first time ever where the the two adults literally trust each other okay that they are bonded and and the male can know that he's got something to eat at the end of the day that he was going to be able to survive while he goes out there and tries to make a killing okay uh this is actually still the underlying economic uh, behavior that takes place in males and females in peer bonding today, where the female's job is to get the secure job, okay? Mid-level job, not anything fancy, make sure that we get the first decent salary, okay? And the male's job is to make a killing in business, okay? It's literally the same psychology. Now, the uh, it, so what's going to happen, though, is that as that male that's sitting waiting for a fire uh knows that it's not profitable to go chase that fire. It's profitable if he takes three of his buddies with him. Because if they all go and see that fire, there's only going to be one guy there with a spear, and they'll just overpower or intimidate him, and then they'll take the food anyway. Okay? Except that when they push the grass back, they don't see one male with one woman. They see 10 men, a village. Okay? So very, very quickly human beings gathered together in village groups where there would be 20 men or 10 men or 30 men and a whole bunch of females and a whole bunch of children and a whole bunch of fires. And now you get exactly the social organization that we still see today, two million years later, okay? And we get the very same process where the male's job in the village is to actually go out into the woods and try to get these extraordinary killings where they get thousands of cowries with one lucky strike where the female's job is to make sure they get the steady plant food, okay? Now, this species doesn't need meat. It's a Johnny-come-lately addition to the diet. We haven't adapted to needing this at all. What well, we've adapted to, we can use it, but uh, we've adapted, though, to the cooking of it, whether it's cooked meat or cooked carbohydrate. The, the cooked food is the big concentrated calories that comes at the end of the day That human beings uh, look forward to and that this is where the whole village atmosphere congregates. We still see that this is true. In other words, people still want to, particularly at dinner time, get together with a group of people and eat. And what they want to eat is cooked food. Okay? Now, so what do they do? Now what they've gone has gone overboard. They eat everything cooked. Okay. They, they don't even want to eat an apple anymore because of the effort that it takes to crunch it off of, a, of, of the apple. They don't want to eat any carrots. They don't want to do anything that might stress their precious little energy in their mouth. Uh, they drink Coca-Cola. In other words, you're seeing what's happening to the species. Um, raw food diets are, are difficult to do. Uh, and it's going to turn out that what people do in raw food diets in order to mimic the calorie density, of in fact, cooked food, they do a bunch of drying and dehydrating and they process the daylights out of their food with a blender. They use, you know, oils. They do all kinds of things. Okay. And that's because what it, in their heart and in their gut, they crave 500 calorie pound semi processed food, which is what a cooked potato is. Okay. So what we really want to do is we want to head towards a more McDougall style process that's really where we're going and that is in fact very consistent with the natural history of the organism and um and if we do that we wind up with a balance of a lot of raw food in the diet plus the cooked carbohydrate when we do that we get the appropriate amount of bites for the amount of calories that you need everything works beautifully and that's how we're designed
2: wow that's so fascinating listening to all that evolutionary science um. I mean, I wonder. I really do wonder. Where does this paleo movement get their argument at that humans evolved with eating meat? Uh, have you? Seen? Well, yeah.
0: They did evolve with eating meat. They, uh they, they evolved to include meat in the diet, but it's not necessary. Okay. So the the big mistake that the paleo folks are making is as follows: the uh, they make several. But I'm gonna triangulate on one really very important logical error. And, and that is that, uh, I, I want you to think about a car that, that begins its life as a diesel and that it uses diesel fuel. And that if you, if you just put diesel fuel in it, uh, it will go a hundred thousand miles without any problems. And then it's going to have problems and it's going to die on you. Okay. So that that's how that car works, and we're going to live in a land where you can only go one way on the street. So as you wander through this this land land on these windy roads, there aren't very many filling stations. But every time there's a filling station, you fill up the car, okay? Because you never know you might get get caught short and have to push that car, and it's your primary vehicle of locomotion. Now I want you to imagine. That somewhere along this, this process, the, um, it turns out that you can have a choice where you can put gasoline in the car as well. Now, it's not as good a fuel. It gums up the fuel injectors. There's problems with it. But if you put gasoline in the fuel, if you put nothing but gasoline in there, the thing would go 70,000 miles, not 100. Okay? If you put half gas and half diesel in, it's going to go 85,000 miles, okay? So the more diesel you can put in, the healthier the car is, but you can use gasoline. Now, I want you to picture this and realize that if you lived in that land, then whenever you came across a station, whether it was a gas station or a diesel station, the right thing to do is to always fill it up. It, even if you just filled up with diesel 10 miles ago and you came across a station, And the next station you came on was gas. You'd fill it up with gas. Okay. The reason is you never know that might be the difference between you not making it to the next station or not. That is precisely the situation that our ancestors faced. It was eat whatever was available because that might be the difference between you starving and not starving. Okay. They never knew where their next next meal was coming from. And they needed the widest possible palate that they could get in order to increase their likelihood of survival. One of the things that you will see in humans that is so different from other primates is that other primates simply live in the same habitat and they don't wander. They have very, very small roaming ranges. They essentially stake out a territory and they live in it. Human beings are the wanderer. They, and and you see this today, that human beings have an extraordinary wanderlust, okay, that one of the biggest industries in the world is travel. And travel is the dream of human beings. When, when I retire, when I get enough money, that is not classic of animals. That is a bizarre characteristic of our species. And so if you look at our species, you see that we are in fact the widest ranging large land animal on earth. Okay. We we have gone everywhere. We've crossed oceans. We've crossed rivers. We've gone into you know very difficult territories. We love the adventure of seeing what's over the next the next uh, mountain, and that it turns out you could only do that if you widen the palate to include everything that you, you could possibly put in there. Human beings have the widest palate of all primates. And so we needed it, so we included meat. We did not eat raw meat for very long. It turns out raw meat is very, very difficult and problematic uh, and is hard on people and will make them sick. So it turns out that we cooked it, okay? So at the end of the day, human beings were eating mostly cooked carbohydrate. They were eating cooked meat if they could get it. The cooked meat was not an ideal food for the optimal health of the species. It was dirty fuel that you would add to it because your biggest threat to survival is starvation, okay? Much better to die of a degenerative disease at 84 in the wild as a result of including animal food in your diet than to die at 22 of starvation because you weren't willing to eat the meat, okay? The paleo people do not grasp and understand this argument. I do not see it in their writings, Uh, they, they simply are using a very simplistic, uh, uh, superficial pattern match, which says clearly our animal ancestors eat meat. Therefore we should be eating meat today, which is just utterly ludicrous. Okay. It's a, it's a horribly illogical argument. Whereas the, the vegan folks are saying, look, uh, the vegan folks can get into trouble by saying that that isn't true. You know, you don't want to do that. You want to say, you are correct that our ancestors ate meat. But the thing is, is that they were including it as a dirty fuel in order to reduce their likelihood of starvation. Okay? But it is not, in fact, an optimal fuel. And we can demonstrate that empirically by by putting people on whole natural foods, vegan diets, and they become healthier than under any other dietary circumstances. So that, you know, the problem has to be solved in the modern environment by scientific investigation, it cannot be solved by speculation it is into our natural history.
2: Right. Okay? So hopefully that
0: clarifies that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that was a great way you put it there. Um, Good. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Law. That's all the questions I have. But real quick, I do want to get folks to get to know you a bit more. So um, can you give us a bit of your website and where people can connect with you?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, eventually, I'll have a website. It's decent on drwild.com. Uh, but you can yeah, you can connect with me and see where I'm at and, and some things that I'm doing on uh, the True North Health website, which is truenorthhealth.com. Uh, and uh, and my materials, like my videos and stuff, are on John McDougall's website at drmcdougall.com.
2: Great. Okay. Yep. Well, thank you so much for this interview. And, very uh, good. Yeah. I'd love to have you on again. Pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for having me.
1: So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of This Is Bananas. To learn more about this episode, check out the show notes over at Bananiac.com. That's B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C.com. If you're looking for easy and nutritious plant-based recipes to make at home, you can download my ebook, Bananiac Simple Vegan Recipes from my website as well. It includes 25 of my favorite whole food plant-based recipes that I make and eat every day and will hopefully help you eat more whole plant-based meals as well. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate it wherever you're listening to it. Share this episode with someone who. Who could benefit from it. Leave a comment with your thoughts and subscribe to This Is Bananas as well as my YouTube channel, Bananiac, which you can find at youtube.com/slash bananiac. This helps me become more discoverable and ultimately reach more people with my work. If you like to donate, please visit patreon.com/slash bananiac. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and supporting the one-man band that I am. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourself, spread the word, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.